0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you will find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open our Bibles to the scripture reading for this morning. We're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 14 to 22. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. These words are spoken by Moses. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in My name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken." That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Let's now open scripture to Mark 1, verses 35 to 39. This is part of our continuing series on the book of Mark. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Loved congregation of Christ our Lord, on June 27, 1880, a baby girl was born to a well-to-do couple in Tuscumbia, Alabama. She was born in good health and began her childhood normally enough. However, when she was 19 months old, she came down with some kind of illness, usually thought to be either meningitis or scarlet fever. Nobody knows for sure. Whatever it was, the illness left her deaf and blind. Well, that in itself is nothing unusual, because through the history of the world, there have been many, many people who have been both deaf and blind. wouldn't be the first time. However, Helen Keller was different. We know her name today because she learned to overcome her disability. She learned how to communicate. Had she never learned how to communicate, she would likely have remained an obscure name in rural Alabama history. But having gained a voice, Helen Keller went on to become an influential figure in social and political activism. Even if we don't agree with some of the causes for which she stood, many of which were anti-Christian, We can all recognize that her stature was gained because she learned to communicate despite her handicaps. Now, things were a little bit different with the Lord Jesus. He was not handicapped by deafness or blindness. Speaking was something that he could easily do. But yet, the fact remains that if the Lord Jesus had remained silent throughout his life, or, if you want to put it this way, if he'd been the quiet type, we would not know his name today. An essential part of his earthly ministry was his calling to speak and to communicate verbally. He was called to be a prophet. And being a prophet involves speaking. At least that much is clear from the passage that we read from Deuteronomy 18. There we find that God promised to raise up a prophet like Moses. God would put His words in the prophet's mouth. And the prophet would speak. He would not be silent. In Acts 3.22, the Apostle Peter recognized that Deuteronomy 18 was anticipating the prophetic ministry of the Lord Jesus. And in Luke 13.33, the Lord Jesus referred to Himself as a prophet, saying, in any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. On our text from Mark this morning, we also see Christ revealed in His prophetic office. This is not the first time that we've looked at Christ as a prophet in Mark. We did that also when we were looking at verses 14-20. through 20. And it's not going to be the last time either. He was anointed to be a prophet. And he carried out his prophetic calling through his preaching ministry. And so this morning, as God's Word is preached, we'll consider Christ's prophetic office And we'll do it from three different angles. In the the first place, we'll consider him as mediator, prophetic mediator. Then second, as prophetic messenger. And then finally, as the prophetic Messiah. But before we go ahead and consider those three things, let's do kind of a broad overview of the text and, and note some things there. Well, Mark tells us that it was very early in the morning. The sun hadn't yet come up. The Lord Jesus was still in Capernaum, likely at the house of Simon and Andrew. The crowds from the night before had eventually dispersed. Remember, all the crowds had gathered at the house of Simon and Andrew because they knew Jesus was there and they they wanted to be healed by Him. Well, eventually those crowds left and the house became quiet and, and so the residents could get some rest. But one of them was restless. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place so that He could pray. It was a solitary place. That's what our translation says. The original Greek here uses the same word found in verse 12, where Mark says that the Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert. And when we looked at that passage, we noted that the desert is always a special place in the Bible. The desert is the place through which God leads His people to redemption. The desert is the place of trials and temptations. And so on. Well, here in verse 35, we're told that Jesus goes into the desert again. And He goes to pray. This happens on two other occasions in Mark's Gospel. Jesus goes off to an isolated, lonely place to pray by Himself. And on both of those occasions, those are times of crisis. They're critical moments in Christ's ministry. And that leads us to ask the question, what's the crisis here in Mark 1? Well, consider the fact that the people have been flocking to Jesus. They've been banging down the door of Simon and Andrew. And they weren't interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. They didn't want to repent from their sins. They didn't care about the good news that he was preaching. They saw Jesus as a miracle worker. Nothing more. A miracle worker from whom they could receive earthly relief. Well, out of his compassion, he gave it to them. We heard last time about his hand of power and his heart of love for God's people. But the tragedy was that they still remained indifferent to what he was really about. And so he steers away from the crowds and he heads for the wilderness to pray, to bring all of this to his Father in heaven. didn't take long, however, before things started stirring back in the house of Capernaum. As they wiped the sleep from their eyes, Peter and the other disciples, they realized that Jesus was gone. Verse 36 tells us that they went out to look for Him. Literally, it says that they were out hunting Him down, tracking Him down. That word usually has a negative connotation. Eventually, they were successful. And when they found Him, they excitedly told Him, everyone is looking for you! Like the crowds, the disciples too. They just didn't get it. They also misunderstood why Jesus was among them. They wanted Him to come back to Capernaum. By this time, the crowds would be gathering in front of the house again. There were people to heal. There were demons to cast out. Come on, Jesus, it's time to get busy. They wanted Him but only as a sort of emergency room for Capernaum. They weren't interested in what he had to say, but only in what he could do for them. Like people so often do. Also today. They wanted a Savior they could manipulate. They would follow him, but only because of what he could do for them. Just in passing, that's something to think about for ourselves too, isn't it? Why do we follow Him? Well, Christ, He was not and He is not going to be manipulated. In our text, because He knew the Scriptures, including what we read from Deuteronomy 18, because He knew God's will for Him, He knew that His purpose Was to preach the gospel. In his person, with his mouth, with his lips, with his tongue and voice, the kingdom of God draws near. His mission was not to be an emergency room, but to call men and women to repent of their sins and to believe the gospel. His mission and calling was to be a prophet. So instead of going back to Capernaum where the crowds are lingering and eagerly waiting for the, the miracle worker to return, the Lord Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, follow him to the neighboring towns and villages. He spent enough time in Capernaum. Now was the time to move along and continue his prophetic preaching ministry. And so that's exactly what he did. Verse 39 tells us that he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues. And as he did this, the preaching was front and center. But then Mark also adds the detail that he was still casting out demons. Even though preaching was his main task, the purpose for which he had been sent, he also had compassion on the suffering, especially on those who were in Satan's grip through demon possession. Okay, so that is a broad overview of our text. What we're going to do now is we're going to narrow our focus and we're going to consider how Christ is revealed as a prophet from the angles that I mentioned before. Mediator, messenger, and Messiah. And as we do this, we'll also consider the comfort and the encouragement we receive from seeing our Savior in this way. Let's first consider Him as a prophetic mediator. This is seen most clearly when we reflect on the word that Mark uses to describe Christ's preaching. The word in Greek is keruso. And if you want to know how to spell that, it's in the liturgy sheet. You can see it under uh, question 4 under questions for further reflection and discussion. Keruso. Well, that word keruso... We've come across that word before. Literally, it means to herald. John Stott, fairly well-known author, has a book of studies on the different words that are used to describe preaching and the, the task of a preacher in the New Testament. It's called The Preacher's Portrait. And with this particular word, Kerusso, he notes the secular use of the word herald. He writes, and I'll quote what he says, "...a herald had to be a man of considerable self-control. The proclamation must be delivered exactly as it was received. As the mouthpiece of his master, he dare not add his own interpretation." It's the end of the quote. "...the herald who would go beyond what he had been commanded to speak. A herald like that would be severely punished." By his master, the one who had sent him out. Well, brothers and sisters, the very idea of a herald implies someone going between two parties. In other words, a mediator. The king sends out the herald with a message to another party. The herald has authority to speak on behalf of the king. With the Lord Jesus here in Mark 1, He is a herald for the coming kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus speaks with authority about the rule of God and what the proper response of the people is to be to this preaching. They were to repent, have a change of mind, and they were to believe what this prophet proclaimed. Now you might say that that all sounds a bit abstract sounds a bit disconnected from, from our daily lives. Well, let me make it more concrete. You know, we weren't there in the synagogues of Galilee 2,000 years ago. That's true. But the apostles were. When the Lord Jesus preached and heralded the Gospel, when He was being a prophetic mediator, they were listening. And He promised them that the Holy Spirit would help them remember His words and His teachings. And you know what? The Spirit did. And so today we have Christ's inspired Word through which He continues to teach us today. And so when we open our Bibles, do we hear the voice of Christ our prophet? When we sing the psalms, do we hear the voice of Christ, our prophet? He continues to speak. And he does so with authority to herald the coming kingdom of God. As God's herald, he is still calling out to us to repent and believe the Gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, he's not inviting us. He's not down on His knees begging us as if He needs us to do it. He is commanding us. And we dare not refuse. Brothers and sisters, hear your prophetic mediator call you to repent and to believe His Word today. We must also hear Him as the prophetic messenger A prophet always comes with a message or a teaching. In fact, in the Old Testament, prophecy is not so much predictive, though it is often that, not so much predictive as instructive. Through prophecy, God wants His people to learn something and to be transformed by what they learn. In Isaiah 30, The coming savior is described as a teacher who would show the people the way in which to walk. In other words, he would have a message that would transform them. In the context of Mark 1, we know that the message was the good news of God, the proclamation that the kingdom of God had come near. At that time, it looked like the world was out of control. What, with the the Romans in power and everything? The voice of prophecy had been silent for hundreds of years. Before John the Baptist came, there was this huge gap where there were no prophets in Israel. It looked like Satan had gained the upper hand. Now look at all the folks who are demon-possessed in this time. Christ comes and says, There's good news. It's not like that at all. The kingdom of God is breaking in and bringing good news, bringing rescue to those who walked in darkness. The message was, repent and believe this good news that I've come to bring. And the Lord Jesus Himself was the embodiment of this good news. It was in Him that the kingdom of God had come near. It was in him that there was good news. Later in Mark 10:45 the disciples would hear him say, "For even the Son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." He was the one whom the people were called to believe. Think about it. He brings the word and he is the word which he brings. He is both the preacher and the preached. He is the teacher and the lesson. He is the prophetic messenger and the message. As He was preaching throughout Galilee, He was the good news He was bringing. Brothers and sisters, He is still the good news for us today. And there's enormous comfort and encouragement in believing that. Here we see a Savior with good news on His lips. Good news in His person. He speaks and He acts and He teaches us the true depth of what it means to receive something that you don't deserve. He shows us the meaning of grace. And not only that, He shows us the height and the width and the depth of God's love for us. And so as you look at our text and you see Him preaching, you need to keep the big picture of the Gospel in the front of your mind. Because it's that message which He is bringing. It's that message which continues to bring comfort for believers today. No matter what circumstances they may find themselves in. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the prophetic messenger, and the message. And finally, he's also revealed as the prophetic Messiah. The Messiah was promised in the Old Testament in numerous places. And in some of them, he is said to be a prophet. Especially in the book of Isaiah, we see him revealed as being both human and divine. Both Lord and Servant taking everything together, we read the Old Testament and we see promises for an anointed one who will be a prophet and who will somehow be both God and man. He will be God's faithful servant who will suffer and die for the sins of His people. In our text, we see these elements as well. Consider the fact that the Lord Jesus was human he had been healing the crowds in Capernaum. The crowds misunderstood His mission. This was not only a problem for them, for the crowds. It was also a temptation for Him. The people would have followed Him anywhere. They would have done anything He said. The temptation was there to abandon the path of humiliation and suffering and instead pursue glory on this earth. The Lord Jesus did not yield to this temptation. Instead, He went to the Father in prayer. And by doing so, He was strengthened to continue on the messianic trajectory of suffering and ultimately death. Note too that when he preaches, he preaches in the synagogues in Galilee. He doesn't preach in the town squares, but he preaches in the places where God's covenant people are assembled for worship. This too was prophesied about the Messiah in the Old Testament. We find it, for instance, in Psalm 40. In verse 9 of that psalm, it says, "...I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly." And in verse 10, I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. We're going to sing those words in a few moments. Christ was perfectly obedient in His speaking, following exactly the plan that God had laid out for Him in His Word. And this becomes even more meaningful when we consider the architecture now that may sound strange, but the architecture of synagogues in the New Testament era. Let me explain. Now, synagogues developed because the Jews could not always make their way to Jerusalem. Because of the temple, Jerusalem was really the center of Old Testament worship, including in the, the time of our text. But as the Jewish people spread further and further afield, it became less and less practical to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And as a result, synagogues developed not to replace the temple worship, but to supplement it. And this was reflected, here comes the architecture bit, this was reflected in the fact that the synagogues were always built to face Jerusalem. And so when you went out the doors of the synagogue, you would be facing in the direction of Jerusalem. And inside the synagogue, there was a pulpit, much like we have in this church. It was called a bema. And the bema, or the pulpit too, was facing Jerusalem. And so whenever the Lord Jesus was inside a synagogue and preaching, he would have his face directed towards Jerusalem. When he left the synagogue, he would be facing Jerusalem. Why is that important? Because in this way, he would constantly be reminded that he had a date with death in the city of God. The cross lay ahead. He knew that. He recognized that fact. And in obedience, he continued on the path that had been laid out for him by His Father. Now these are not just interesting things. These are are not dry and dusty facts. Brothers and sisters, far from it. The Gospel is here in Christ as the prophetic Messiah. The one important thing that we need to keep coming back to time and again is our union with this Christ by true faith when He was aware of His messianic calling, and when He was obedient to that, when He never yielded to temptation, He was perfectly obedient. And He was obedient for you. And He was obedient for me. Through our union with Him, through the fact that His Spirit lives in us and ties us to Him, His obedience is ours. That's good news, isn't it? Because you think of all the times that we've failed. Think of all the times that we've been tempted in one way or another and we've given in to temptation. Think of all the times that we've not spoken the truth when we should have. Think of all the times that we've said or thought, maybe not in these exact words, but something like it, forget about the cross. Forget about denying myself. I want the glory and I want it now. We sometimes think like that, even if we don't say those exact words. We've been so disobedient, even on our best days. But the good news is that through faith, we are united to this Christ. And because of that, because of Christ, We are right in God's eyes. We are righteous. All of Christ's obedience has been given to us, including His obedience as the prophetic Messiah. And we have a right standing with God as a result. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news goes further. Because this Savior removes not only the curse of sin, He also removes its slavery. He not only graciously works our justification so that we are right with God, but He also graciously works out our sanctification. The process by which we more and more look like Christ. Through the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ, we are, by God's grace, being more and more set free from sin each day. As we look to Christ our Savior, as we fix our eyes on Him, we are being transformed and changed into His image. More and more we see victories over our temptations. We speak the truth and love as we ought we embrace the cross and we deny ourselves. Well, today we have the great blessing of witnessing another public profession of faith two weeks in a row. What a great blessing, isn't it? The Lord has worked in the heart and life of Sister Alicia Auger. She has been united to Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. And she wants that fact to be publicly known. Praise God for that. As prophets who share in Christ's anointing, we want to confess His name. This is the natural outcome of our union with Christ. We rejoice at this moment, this day. Even more so because of the, the providential circumstances by which, by which Alicia has been brought into our midst. Many of you maybe don't know her. She didn't grow up in, a, in our churches. But God has led her here. And for that too, we thank and praise Him alone. And we're also led to recognize that we, here in the Langley Canadian Reformed Church, we have so much to be thankful for. And so as we see and hear Alicia profess her faith, let it be a time of reflection for all of us For those who have not yet taken this step, reflect on why that is. Why you haven't done it. And how does that relate to your union with Christ? And for those of us who have taken this step, whether recently or in the more distant past, let's reflect on what it means for us today. Christ is our prophet. We are united to Him. What does that mean for how you're going to confess His name? How you're going to think and act and speak today and tomorrow and the next day. For all of us, brothers and sisters, let us continue to fix our eyes on the Savior. He is our chief prophet and teacher. He is our mediator, our messenger, our Messiah. Let him be praised by us, now and forever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.